Well, this morning we're going to continue uh, in the book of Mark, and um, I want to push it to the YouVersion app, and I have a, a specific reason I'm going to do that again this morning. In our pews, the Bibles are NIV version, and I think we're, I feel like the Lord is leading us this morning. The ESV version is a better, a better way to get us there, and since you don't have the ESV version, if you, if you pull up the YouVersion app, I have provided it for you, or at least I, our communication team has. And I just found out yesterday that, that the, the wireless is not that good in here, and so this doesn't work for everyone. And so if you turn your wireless, um, whatever, off, and, and you just go through the satellite, then I think it'll, it'll work. Um, but in, in the, the YouVersion app, if you'll click down the bottom right where it says more, you'll see the little dots, and you click into events, and then it'll pull up a map, and First Free is one of them, and if you click into First Free, then you'll have all the notes this morning, plus the scripture from the ESV version, which, which I'm going to read from. And I'm really excited about this morning. Um, this, this message that we're going to look at, this story that Mark gives us, is, uh, is a fascinating story. And um, I think there's a lot that we can take away from it. And Mark is going to take us... Um, through what happens after a long ministry day. So Jesus has been teaching these parables, and, and, uh, and he's sat in this boat, and it's a long day, and they're going to head across the Sea of Galilee, and while they're heading across the Sea of Galilee, Jesus falls asleep. It's the only instance we have of Jesus sleeping, and, uh, and the disciples are going to come face-to-face with a life-threatening, terrifying storm. And what we will read would have been so mar- far more intense than we're going to be able to, to even appreciate here this morning as we just read it. But, but um, it's going to be a story where God rocked the lives of these young people or young disciples. And, he's, and I think he's, he's got some things for us to learn too. When, uh, when our kids were really small, I got a picture of, of what they look like, we... we have a tradition of going to Colorado in the summer for a family vacation, and we drag bicycles with us. It's just the thing we do, and we actually love it better than, than going there in the, the winter. And, uh, and so we took this family, family vacation when they were small uh, with our bicycles and, and pulled a buggy, which is just one of those yellow canvas two-wheeled buggies behind her bike, and Payne was uh, between one and two this particular year in the buggy, and then I pulled Ellie behind my bike. We had what we called a trailer bike that connected to my seat post and uh, in effect turned my bicycle into a tandem bike, a bicycle for two. And Ellie, our middle daughter, would, would sit on there and, and I just would pull her around. And then the first year, our oldest Katie got to ride her own bike. Now it had gears, but because she was so little, no matter how hard she pedaled, our top speed as a family was about eight miles per hour. And, and that was on level ground. And keep in mind, we were in Colorado, so level ground was not there. So, you know, her little legs are going like this, and we're just kind of me, me, me. And um, <clears throat> one day, as we were out on our bikes, um, the weather started, started to turn. And... Um, and, and it happens in Colorado in the summer regularly, and, and you don't have a lot of time to really navigate through it, especially at a top speed of eight miles per hour. So uh, I sent Anne with pulling Payne, who was one to two, in the buggy on ahead so she could get 
home to the condo we rented faster. And then uh, I did my best to encourage little Katie, pedal, pedal, pedal. And as I saw this, this big, dark cloud thing coming at us, and it was, it was starting to get worrisome because we had a couple miles left and we weren't, we weren't going to make it. And all of a sudden, uh, the temperature began to change. The wind started blowing, started to spit some rain. And, and within a few minutes, the temperature dropped about 30 degrees. Now, we are, we're in shorts and, and short sleeves. And then lightning started to strike and thunder. And, and, uh, and then it started to hail. Yes. First, small little hail, stones, and then quarter-sized hailstones, and then the girls started screaming. And again, pedal, pedal, <laughs> pedal. And uh, I looked back at one point, and the, we all had helmets on, bike helmets, and I looked back, and there were hailstones sticking in the vents of the girls' helmets, just sticking in there. And they were screaming, and the hail was hitting their arms. Again, we're short sleeves and shorts. And, uh, and eventually, the hail was so big that it put welts on their, on their arms. And so you can imagine what, what that could have been like. My first thought as this all is transpiring is, God's going to take care of us. It's okay, God. I know you got us. I know you got us. And, and then as things got worse and as things got scary worse, uh, I, I really began to be fearful for our, for our safety and when they're screaming, these blood-curdly screams, and, and, and things are now fastly approaching dangerous, dangerous, uh, I, I began to have this conversation with God, not out loud, but in my mind. God, are, are you taking care of us? Like, I'm trusting you here, but this is, this is really getting scary. And uh, I was scared for our lives, and watching their faces as I turn around and hearing their screams... Uh, and, and there was no place to take shelter. I mean, we were just heading uphill to our condo, which was at a ski resort, and we were getting pelted and screaming and crying and pedal, pedal, pedal. Please pedal. And so um, we worked our way through, through um, probably 20 minutes of this, and, and eventually we got to a construction area for some um, condos, and we ditched our bikes, and we, we ran to the front porch of this condo, which was under construction, a tiny little porch, and we huddled sitting on this concrete step over this little overhang, and it was so cold, and it was so windy, and we're cold, wet, and the hail is just coming down. The hail was coming down so strong that it completely covered the ground in a blanket which looked like a snowstorm, except it was hail. And so um, we still had about probably three blocks to get to where our condo was, which was a long ways um, in our particular situation. And so we huddled there, and I held my girls, and they shivered and were crying, and, and I prayed with them, and I felt terrible. And in my mind, I'm just saying, God, what are you doing here? And so after about 45 minutes, the hail turned to rain, and then I grabbed their little hands, and we took off running. We couldn't get on the bikes because the road was completely covered with ice, which had turned into this snowstorm. And we ran these three blocks and finally got to our condo, uh, cold, shivering, and had no idea where we were this whole time, so she was scared for us. And the little girls, they were just crying, ran into their mother's arms, and were so excited to be delivered from their fathers. 
their father's <laughs> bicycling mess. And for, for some reason, I, I don't understand, my kids never were so excited about going on family bike rides after that. <laughs> I don't get it. Well, it was a day where fear shook us to our core and a day where I was confused. I really was confused by my perceived lack of God's oversight. I, I really was frustrated with God because I didn't feel like he, he had done what I thought he would do, take care of us. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where, where your fear was so tangible that you were concerned for your life and, and your life, the, the lives of those around you. I'm sure if we got together, if we went out for coffee, you, you would have stories. Um, maybe when you were you know, close to a tornado or, or maybe an, a car accident or maybe uh, a place where, where a loved one passed on or, or maybe you've got a prognosis of, of um, some cancer or something that, that just gripped you where, you where you could feel this, this terrifying fear thing that was tangible. And, and um, I think we've all been there. It's, it's a scary place to be. And if you're anything like me, if, if you're really honest, and if I was really honest, what happens to me in the middle of those situations is I, I tend to, to, to ask God, God, where, where are you? Where, where are you? Don't, you? don't you care? That's in effect what my cry is. God, don't you care? Where are you? What's going on here? Well... Fear is very real and profound, and today we're going we're gonna to read about an evening where a very fearful event happened for our disciples, and they actually asked the same question that, that I think we all ask, and Jesus is going to take these early disciples, and he's going to use a storm. He's going to use a storm to help them wrestle with life and with death, and he's going to force them to deal with a question that actually every human being is forced to deal with at one point or another. And as we will see, they found out that there's something far more terrifying than a storm. Something that they needed to wrestle through. So, so let's get started. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Um, the title that, that is used for this section is Jesus Calms a Storm. And it's a, it's a, it's a story that many of us know, but I, I want us to walk through it because there's so much going on here that that you miss if you, don't, if you don't dig in a little. So let me read, start, starting verse 35, and we'll go through 40, verse 41. On that day, when evening had come, he, he, Jesus, said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he, he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? 
The reason I wanted us to go to the ESV version is there, there is a word that's repeated three times in here that you miss in the NIV translation. And I, I think it's an important word that leads us down the path that we want to, I want us to go. And, and it's the word great. There was a great windstorm, and then there was a great calm, and then there's a third great. It's a great fear. But it's gonna, as we're going to see, it's going to be a fear that, ha- that takes a different twist. It isn't what we think. And the setting of this story is the Sea of Galilee. Now, I've never been to the Sea of Galilee. I've done a lot of reading, and, and it's a fascinating place. The Sea of Galilee, to my understanding, is, is uh, the, the body of water that is the lowest below the sea level of any in, in our world. And it's 700 feet below sea level. And so what, what that creates is this body of water is kind of down in a basin, in a bowl. And, and surrounding this Sea of Galilee are, are mountains and hills. Mount Hermon, which is, um, is 9,200 feet above sea level, is on one side. And so um, between the sea level and the top of that mountain, you have 10,000 feet, which is, is a, a, pretty big, a pretty big mountain. And there'll be snow up there, and then the rest of the area is, is surrounded by hills. And all this sets up for a weather scenario for the potential of these pop-up storms as these cold winds come down off of the, the mountain and interact with the warm wind or the warm air that's, on, that's over the sea. It's really not a sea. It's a, it's a small body of water. Uh, as they interact, though, these pop-up storms... Uh, are something that, that if you live there, you would understand is a, a pretty regular happening. And if you'd have been a fisherman, if you would have been a fisherman in Jesus' day, you would have been well aware you do not want to be out here when one of these pop-up storms happens. The last place you would want to be was out on, on the Sea of Galilee. And I have a couple pictures of what the disciples' boat uh, most likely looked like. And we know this because of, of uh, some examples of boats that have actually been been found archaeologically in the well, 1987 one was found. Uh, and this is a, a typical uh, version of the boat they would have been in. There's a mast in the middle. And if you look at this version, if you would read this story in, in Luke, you would find out that they actually were sailing. So at one point, they lowered the mast on the, on the boat. And it could hold about 15 people. And, and the next picture is probably a very, very realistic example of what this place would have looked like during this massive windstorm that came across. Scary, scary things. Uh, you would not want to be out there on that boat during a storm, a storm like that. And then listen to the details that Mark gives us uh, in this story. Now, Mark, um, the book Mark, is really Peter's version of the Gospels. Um, most, most scholars believe that the book of Mark was Peter, uh, was Mark writing down Peter's story of what happened. And so, but listen to these details that Mark captures. We're told the hour of the day, it's evening. We're told that Jesus is, is, uh, is taken in the boat um, in which he was already in. So as they, as they head off, as he had been speaking from this boat, they just cross. He never gets out of the boat and they just, they just leave. We're told that there are other boats with them. I've always wondered what happened to these other boats. Interesting story there that someday we can ask the Lord, hey, by the way, whatever. And we're told that, that the boat began to draw water, that it began to fill up during the storm, that the winds actually were pushing these waves over the water and into the boat. And we're told that Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat on a cushion. <laughs> and we, we, um, 
as we read it, we, we pick up the disciples' sarcasm as they throw, throw a zinger at him um, to wake up. And then we're given uh, Jesus' rebuke to the storm, and then, and then there's a unique description of, Jesus, or of the disciples' fear. And so uh, I want to break the story into six headings this morning and, and uh, walk us through it and, and then give us some application. So here's, here's the first section. I'm calling it God is at work in their circumstances. God is at work in their circumstances. So let's, let's reread verses 35, 36, and 37 and, and get into this. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them and in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Did you capture whose idea it was to get in, or to head to the other side of the, of the lake? Jesus. <laughs> they were not accidentally out on the lake. The storm didn't catch God off guard. Going out on this on this lake across was actually Jesus' idea. The storm was so severe that the boat started to fill up with water and Jesus is asleep, uh, apparently oblivious to the danger that they, they were in. And, and if Jesus doesn't save them, they're in deep trouble. I mean, life-threatening. Life-threatening. But my first point is this. God is actually at work in all these circumstances. God is at work in what's going on. My second point, I'm calling both God's humanity and, and in his deity are on display. Both God's humanity and his deity are on display here. Well, it's, it's pretty obvious to see his, his deity on display, but we can also get a glimpse of his humanity. Verse 38, but Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion, and they woke him and they said to him, teacher, don't you care that we are perishing Jesus is asleep on the back of the boat. He's exhausted. It's been a long day of ministry. And we see his humanity. He's sleeping. He's human. He needs to rest. And he's so exhausted that he's sleeping through this massive storm. Now, sleep, sleep can be a good thing or sleep can be a bad thing. Now, think of the disciples on the night that Jesus was arrested when Jesus told them to, to watch and to tarry, and to pray that they wouldn't fall into temptation, and they fall asleep, right? So that's a poor response to sleep. But sleep could also be a sign of trust. If you were to look in the Psalms and read some of David's accounts, one of them in Psalm 4, David says this. He says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So you can have a, sleep could be a, a poor response to something, or sleep could actually be a good response to something. But Mark, in this story, he leads us as, as readers to expect that Jesus' sleep is actually a sign of trust. It's a, it's a good thing. But the disciples, it, disciples interpret his sleep as something else, don't they? they? They interpret his sleep as, what are you doing? Where are you? How can you sleep during this? But here's what's interesting. Jesus knew he had a work to complete on the cross. He knew that. That wasn't a mystery. He knew exactly why God had sent him to earth. He was confident in the Father's promise to see him finish so he could sleep in peace. 
They wake Jesus and sarcastically they blast him. Teacher, don't you care? Don't you care that we're perishing? They were in imminent danger and they voiced their concern that he didn't really care. Now, when they said, don't you care? I don't, I don't think it was, hey, hey, Jesus, don't you care? I mean, you saw the picture of what the storm potentially would have looked like. These guys are, hey! I mean, they're, they're, they're like, the boat's filling up. They're screaming at him. I mean, this would have been a terrifying situation. <laughs> now, what did they want him to do? I've thought about this. We know how the story played out. They had no idea how this played out. Did they want him to bail water? Like, hey, we need some, we need some more people bailing here or we're going under. Is that what they wanted? Or did they want him to call on God to rescue them? We don't really know because, because we weren't there. But for them, they just can't figure out why can someone can sleep through the storm. They knew that they were in imminent danger of death. But we can assume that they never anticipated how Jesus would respond to the storm. Which brings me to my third point, which is this. They panic, they panic when they lose faith that God is trustworthy. They panic when they lose faith that God is trustworthy. Again, verse 38. He was in the stern asleep on a cushion. They woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care? Do you not care that we are perishing? These seasoned fishermen knew their lives were in danger and were, they were in a panic mode. They lash out at Jesus. They audibly throw this, this rude comment at him. But can you really blame him? I mean, I would have done the same thing. We all would have done that. We all would have done that. The disciples question Jesus' love and concern for them and for the situation. And it's actually possible to translate the disciples' words to Jesus this way. You do not care that we are perishing. We translate it as a question, but you could translate it as, you don't care that we're perishing. And Jesus shows some divine humility in his response. But in their panic, they lose faith that God was trustworthy. My fourth point is this. Jesus has authority over nature. Verse 39. He awoke and he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, peace, be still. still." And the wind ceased and there was great calm. The original text um, calls these winds great winds, mega winds. Uh, we, could, we could even say hurricane force winds. Terrifying to be on a boat out on the lake in. And, and Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind. That's the word we, we translate to, rebukes the wind. And this word rebuke is the same word that he used if we go back to chapters 1 and chapters 3 in Mark when he cast demons out of people. You remember navigating through some of those stories? It's the same word. And the tense of this rebuke is the kind of word, wording that would have a personal aim. It was aim, not aimed at an object, but a, it was a personal um, aim at, the, at, this, at this wind that he rebukes. And then Jesus tells the waves to be still. And that word has an idea of muzzling. Um, So he rebukes the wind and he muzzles the sea. Now, I don't know if you're picking up on this, but here's, here's what Mark is saying happened when this storm is happening. 
Jesus gets up and he says, waves, stop. Or wind, I'm sorry, wind, stop. And the wind dies down. Now, if, you're, if, you're on a, if you've been on a lake, my parents had a place on a lake. I grew up on a, on a water. When a storm stops, the wave, do the waves stop right away? No, they just keep rolling, don't they? But that's not what Mark tells us happens. What Mark tells us happens is that he rebukes the wind and he muzzles the sea. And not only does the wind stop, but the water goes. Can you imagine sitting there and that happening? What the disciples' faces must have looked like? I mean, you can imagine where their minds start to go. Jesus has authority over nature. The fifth point is that this trial and difficulty actually benefits their faith. This trial and difficulty actually benefits their faith. Verse 40, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with a great fear. We had a great storm. We had a great calm. And now there's this great fear from the disciples. And this great fear happens with no wind and no waves. What's going on? Well, throughout stilling the storm, Mark gives us clues that the purpose of the miracle is actually for the disciples. It's they who take Jesus with them. They wake him up. They accuse Jesus of forsaking them. They're the ones who are afraid. And their probing question concludes the story. And Jesus then turns from addressing the storm and he begins to address his disciples. And he doesn't reproach them for their lack of knowledge. What does he reproach them for? For their fear. Why are you so afraid is his question to them. The Greek word here could actually mean cowardice or losing heart. He's saying, you guys are cowards. Where's your faith? Why are you so afraid? This great windstorm is replaced by a great calm that's followed by a great response by his disciples, but it's not the great response we would expect. Instead of a response of relief that this is all over, they are responding with fear. And not just normal fear, they are filled with a great fear. Literal transition, translation would be, they feared a great fear. They feared a great fear. And the disciples' fear of what Jesus has done and who he might be is actually greater than their fear of the storm. And so the trial is beginning to benefit their faith. Which brings me to my last point, and this is, this is it. They are face-to-face with the identity of Jesus. They are face-to-face with the identity of Jesus. The end of verse 41 says, And they say, said to one another, Who then is this? Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Not only does the wind obey him, but the sea obeys, obeys him. Who is this? Who is this? In a sense, Jesus is still a stranger to his own followers, for they're better able to handle the possibility of their own death than the possibility that God is in the boat with them. This is what they're face to face with here. 
In this case, God's nearness in Jesus is not reassuring to the disciples, but something profoundly terrifying, something unsettling. This insecurity produces this question which actually makes their faith possible. Who then is this? The disciples' fear turned to one of recognition of what was becoming very evident. Who is this? Who is this? Well, do you remember the words that Mark used when he started this book? The very first sentence. We've mentioned it over and over and over. The beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And you know that Mark's account is Peter's account that Mark is capturing. Where was Peter when all this was going on? It was in the boat. It was in the boat. And here's how he starts this book out. The beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. When they were in the midst of the storm, the disciples woke Jesus up by calling him teacher. But they were being forced to see that he was much more than just a teacher. Who is this that even the wind and the sea are obeying him? And their fear over this realization was much bigger than their fear of the storm they had just lived through. So here here are my six points. Let me throw them together. God is at work in their circumstances. Both God's humanity and deity are on display They panic when they lose faith that God is trustworthy. And Jesus has authority over nature. The trial and difficulty benefits their faith. And now they're face to face with the true identity of Jesus. And all this because of a storm. Wow. Wow. Let me ask a question. I think it's an important question. Do you find yourself in some sort of a storm this morning? Are the waves filling up your boat? Is hail putting wealth on your kids' arms? What challenge is overwhelming you, causing you anxiety, causing you fear? Life is full of storms, isn't it? Some are small, some are really big. What's your storm today? I want to go back and I want to take these six points and I want to just adjust them just a little because they really are six points that apply to us too. And so let me reword them in a way that that points them at us. I think I've got a slide of this. Here's the first one. God is actually at work in your circumstances. God is actually at work in your circumstances. He's in your boat. This is one of the hardest things, especially when when you, you or a loved one is going through something that is just horrific. This is a hard one to, to get your arms around. But God is at work in your circumstances. When I crashed on my bike a year ago, I didn't feel like God was at work in the circumstances. But God has proven that he was at work in the circumstances that day. God's humanity and deity are still on display through Jesus with you and with me. Do not panic. God is trustworthy. Jesus has authority over everything you are facing. 
These trials and difficulties will benefit your faith, my faith. And finally, because of that, you are in the midst, in the very presence of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, our Savior. Jesus is the one who sent them into that storm, and as scary as it was, it appeared, and it appeared that Jesus was asleep, oblivious to their certain death, but Jesus knew the bigger picture. God the Father was in charge, and God's promises were trustworthy. Jesus would soon sacrifice himself for our sins and reconcile us back to God. That's why he was sent to earth. Jesus knew that no storm would rob him of what God had brought him there to do and to accomplish. And the same is true today in your storm and in my storm. It's no surprise to God. Jesus has the very hairs of your head numbered. He has made it clear. He has not abandoned you. He is in the boat with you. The storm does not define you. You are defined by the identity of Jesus, who has has all authority in heaven and on earth. And lest you forget, you are the son and the daughter of God through Jesus. So when you cry out to him, don't you care that we're dying here? Know that Jesus' response to the disciples was, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And, and I think that's his response to us today too. It seems Jesus was surprised at their lack of faith. And Could it be true that he's still surprised at our lack of faith? You are not alone. God is trustworthy. The storm will not be your end. He is in the boat with you. So so what do we do if we find ourselves in a storm? How do we navigate through this? Well, he's in the boat. They got one thing right. They went to him and, and screamed at him, Help! Hey! Well, what if we went to him knowing what we do, and what if our response was a little different? What if our response was something like this? Jesus, I know you're the Son of God. I know you're in this storm with me. I know you have all authority. So Jesus, first of all, I know you're trustworthy, so I choose to trust you, and I know you're building my faith in you. But Jesus, this storm is overwhelming me. So deliver me out of the storm or deliver me through the storm. I'm wrapping my arms around you and I am not going to let go. I know you're my savior. What if we responded in a a form like that? Well, I can hear Jesus saying back to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. My good and full of faith servant. as I close this morning, if by chance you're here and you have not put your faith in Jesus, he's not your Lord and Savior. I just want to, I want to talk to you just, just for a minute if you'll allow me. Um. 
There, you've been around enough to know that life is full of storms, but there's a storm coming that we're all going to face. It's the storm of our life ending. And Jesus has come to set you free, to save you. It's a storm you will never overcome on your own. And Paul, who fought Christianity for years and became a Christ follower after he met Jesus, says this in Romans. He says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus saved the disciples from their peril, and today he will save you too. None of us will escape death, except through Jesus who died on the cross in our place for our sin and our shortcomings. He has come to be a savior. And so I ask you this morning to answer the question for yourself, who is this? Who is this? Jesus, the Son of God, come to bring you salvation. Don't leave here without placing your faith in him. It's no accident that you're here today. Today can be the day that you recognize Jesus and put your faith in him. You can make him your Lord and Savior by confessing with your mouth that he's Lord and believing in your heart that Jesus has raised him from the dead. It's really good news, isn't it? It's a great story. I hate storms. But God is at work in the midst of them. Let me pray. Lord, wow, what a story. Oh, God, help us to get who you are, to put our faith in you. Thank you for storms, as much as I hate them, God. Thank you for doing what you need to help us recognize who you are. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.